This is the Masters of Cinema cast. My name is Joachim. And my name is Tom Jennings. And today we have with us Marilyn Ferdinand of the Ferdion Films blog. Marilyn, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for asking me. Uh, a previous guest of our show, Farron Nami, she was the one that recommended I get in contact with you. So it's uh, a pleasure to have you on. I know that you not only blog on the famous Ferdion Films blog, but you also work as a freelance writer for Fandor magazine. Yes. And you're also an editorial director for the alumni magazine at DePaul University. Yes, that's correct. Uh, you're based in Chicago, correct? Yes, I am. Did you go to any sort of university there or did you move there afterwards? No, I'm a native Chicagoan um, and I went to university, uh, uh, Loyola University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, after that, I started a career here in Chicago in editing and writing. I've worked for a variety of uh, businesses, including uh, World Book Encyclopedia, um, Healthcare Financial Management Association, and currently um, editorial director at DePaul University, um, which is a large Catholic university in the United States. Mm. Um, you have an affinity for silent films and restoration, don't you? Yes, and that's how I actually got to be a partner in crime with uh, Farron Nemi. Um, she and I both enjoy classic films, and we had lamented uh, the loss of so many silent films. And I decided, well, let's do something about it. So we cooked up the For the Love of Film, the Film Preservation Blogathon a few years ago, and have raised funds for film restoration uh, for the Film Noir Foundation and the National Film Preservation Foundation. Um, and I, we're both very proud of that work and all the bloggers who have helped us uh, raise money to bring these um, almost lost films back to life. Mm, as it should be. Um, the the Ferdion Films blog, that's been around since 2005. Um, how, did, how did that get off the ground? Um, that's sort of a long story and really goes to the beginnings of my cinephilia. Um, I started getting interested in film and found the New York Times Film Forum. Um, it was, uh, it's no longer existing, but you could go there and uh, get in discussions with other people of, uh, with like-minded interests. And um, they started uh, censoring us, I guess you could say, and being the kind of rowdy film lot we were, we started our own film discussion board um yeah. my um block partner rod heath who's uh, a great film critic down in um australia was part of that board and we started writing um reviews for the uh the new discussion board and decided just to go off on our own i i really had the idea myself blogs were just starting to come up and um, I invited him about a month later to join with me, and the rest is history. We have uh, over a thousand posts, primarily uh, reviews of films far and wide uh, from every era, every country, um, every taste. Mm. What can you say about how that blogging has changed for you personally over the last nine years? Um, I've started doing more film festivals so I've been able uh -huh. to um, see things before other people do I've been getting some credentialing um, here in Chicago the Gene Siskel Film Center is a 
very um, going concern, uh, one of the premier places for film here. And I've recently been given press credentials for that. Um, I've met so many people in the blogosphere and on Facebook and the internet, etc., um, who also enjoy film. And um, it's been a great community to interact with, to learn more about film, to share what I think, um, to raise money. Um, blogs aren't really the thing right now. They're more like magazines. They used to be a little bit more of a community where we all kind of shared things and did blogathons, and that's not such oh. a big thing right now, but um, it's still, I think, a very viable form and one I still enjoy. Hmm. Your reputation, from what I could gather, is of a so-called uh, opinionated critic. Um, where <laughs> God you, forbid. <laughs> God forbid. But many critics nowadays, I feel that they take a more neutral stance when they are reviewing a film. And they come off as someone that are without any worldview on politics or social issues, um, but only critiquing uh, the film for uh, saying what it says, not or saying how the film says what it says, not what it's saying. And I'm, I'm wondering how much of your own worldview seeps into your writing when you are reviewing a film? A lot. <laughs> mm. I am um, politically active, and I look at everything through a lens of what a film is telling us about ourselves. I really think that films are the stories of our lives, and while I'm not um, averse to um, looking at the aesthetic sensibilities, I think if I just want to look at something and appreciate it from a, a more abstract or, or a, um, objective point of view, I'll go to an art museum. Um, a film, uh, with some exceptions, um, tends to narrative. And I think there's been a lot of discussion about what is in those narratives, rightly or wrongly. Um, people criticize the lack of older people in films or people of color or women in significant roles, such as uh, the whole uh, burgeoning movement about the Bechdel test. Um, so I think that people really recognize movies as a narrative um, and in many areas, as in the news, television, politics, Controlling the narrative can often help you control your life, and that's why I think there's a bit of a culture struggle over it. And um, as an activist, I feel I need to be a part of that. Uh, you've also been an editor for different healthcare publications mm -hmm. and the National PTA Association. Yes. Or PT Association, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Are these um, fundamentally important issues, or did you just fall into them like happenstance? Well, uh, a little bit of both. I've been attracted to nonprofits because of my mission-driven approach to my life. And um, I think both healthcare and education and um, uh, child welfare are extremely important and things that are uh, very difficult uh, in my country, uh, the, the fight over healthcare, the fight over public versus private education is at a fever pitch. And um, whatever I can do to try and bring some 
rationality and some thoughtful um, ideas about those areas, I'm happy to do so. Um, and now that I'm in higher education, I also feel, again, that education is a big thing. Um, it's very expensive for people to go to college these days in the United States. And um, I want to be part of that discussion to make it more affordable and accessible for more people. And again, so, amen to that. I, I, I still owe £9,000 through college. So <laughs> I'm, I'm terribly sorry. When I went to college, it cost me 2000 a year. <laughs> yeah, I work with people. They talk, they talk about the glory days. and I, They gave you money to go to yeah. a university in those days. Because I've sat there thinking, hang on a minute, how's this fair? You know? but, um, well, no, we I mean, still re- do that. <laughs> We still give yeah, money, I, but not as not, not enough. Oh, well, I mean that's well, you, you're better than here. Then where I mean, I mean, it's like, I think it's like up to four thousand pounds a year now. I think fees, the minimum fees now. I think so. Yeah. It's pretty, um, yeah, it's 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 pretty bleak. I think uh, kind of like the whole sort of state of education in general, really. Yes, mm. I agree. I, I I seem to have read somewhere that you champion films from the underexplored regions of the human experience. <laughs> Because you do not think that you nor your culture know it all about life, and you have plenty to learn. So I'm wondering how this uh, perhaps relates to the space exploration. Is that of some similar interest? Absolutely. Um, I saw a wonderful film last year from an Ecuadorian um, director. His name is uh, Sebastian Cordero. Uh, The film was Europa Report, Mm -hmm. and it was the first film I had seen in many, many years that took a positive outlook on um, exploration and and the unknown, it, the sense of wonder and pushing boundaries and not this sort of xenophobic fear and, and um, things that I think the alien movies kind of exemplified of these horrifying creatures from outer space who all they wanted to do was kill us and or colonize us or or whatever um this film brought me back uh to the very beginnings of my life even um the space programs in uh the ussr and the united states were gearing up and um i was 14 when Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon. So for me, space has always been um, a place of my imagination, of, of positivity, um, excitement, adventure. Um, and I was just heralding Europa Report. Thank you, thank you. Um, this is what it <laughs> what it could be like again. Hmm. Um, Tom, uh, one of the first science fiction films that were made was trip to the moon by george melier yeah um what what is our fascination with space i mean nowadays space tourism seems like to be the thing of the imminent future i think it, it is the place of of imagination isn't it i mean that that's you can kind of insert what you want into it i mean i was having um a debate with someone at work the other day and we were talking about the possibility of there being extraterrestrial life out there and i, I was firmly believing that there is and we were talking about he was saying well no there can't be and we were kind of going and it's quite interesting Marilyn what you're saying about kind of the films that kind of talk about space in this sense with, with a sense of exploration because I totally feel that in the fact that space gets a pretty bad rap 
fiction, <laughs> I think, and, and what is out there. And yeah, we, it is always someone turning up to kind of blow us to pieces and things like that. But for me, I've never really felt about, I've never really thought about space in a kind of hostile way. I've always thought about this kind of, you know, wonder, basically. And I mean, I remember, I just, I suppose it's a shameless plug for the other podcast, but I just released an episode on documentaries and I was talking about that, how my kind of love of documentary film came about with my kind of fascination with space and what was kind of out there. And I think it's, because it holds such mysteries and wonder, you can't not be interested. I remember a few years ago where we had um, the comet Hale-Bopp appeared in the sky and it was just sort of floating up there. And I remember I, I sat, I, my neighbour was putting the rubbish out and I went, God, it's amazing, isn't it? And he looked up and went, no, not really. <laughs> and I just thought, how can you possibly say that? You know, I mean, it, it was just, like, and he kind of like walked in like nonchalantly to go back and watch some stupid game show. I probably, I'm, I'm, I've added that just <laughs> kind of, I've added that just for kind of contribution. But I sort of, I, I, stood, I stood there looking up and I thought, yeah, and there's that ball of ice just floating through space and it's been doing that for a thousand years. And, you know, we can see it. And how can you not be interested in something like that? And I, it's like people who, who have no interest in kind of music or the arts or anything like that. I, I'm always deeply suspicious of people who have no interest in things like that because I wonder if they actually have a soul. And <laughs> when it comes to space, that's how I sort of feel about it. If you're not genuinely awed by it, I, I think you've got there must be something kind of wrong with you. That's Marilyn, you expressed an interest uh, to discuss this film for all mankind, especially. What What type of relationship do you have with this film? Um, well, I mentioned it earlier. I was one of the audience members who saw Neil Armstrong mm -hmm. step on the moon. Um, I was at home and uh, we had to wait a while because he they had landed on the moon. Um, I think it was five or six hours earlier. So it was rather late in the evening um, for, for someone like me. I was 14. And then it happened. We watched this scratchy picture on our uh, black and white TV set. And um, and he said those immortal words, you know, one step for man, uh, one giant leap for mankind. And it just sent a shiver through me. And probably the world over, that was uh, the same feeling. You felt really united with all the people of the world. It wasn't just an achievement for the United States or for NASA and the space program. Um, it was a, a leap forward for our species. And I remember, um, and I was not the only one who did this, after they were up and walking around a bit, I went outside and looked up at the moon and realized that some of my people were up there. <laughs> walking around on it obviously I couldn't see them and um they you know could conversely look um down at the earth I think they could I, I don't remember if they were on the dark side or not but um that there was like this communion and it was um probably the seminal event of my life a lot of people my age remember when Kennedy was assassinated. They say, well, what do you remember the most in your life? I go, oh, definitely the moonwalk. That, that's the number one, um, you know, uniting experience that I had in my life. So uh, for all mankind, really um, just celebrated what I experienced. Uh, Tom, what about you? What, when did you first see For All Mankind? 
I saw it many, many, many years ago, and I think it must have been round about. I'm going to put your Let me just think. It must have been around '94, which I think would have been the 25th anniversary of it. Would I be right in saying that? It was '69, wasn't it? I seem to remember. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, and I remember, and there was a kind of there was a huge um, thing on the BBC about it, and I, I by that time, I mean, I was totally obsessed with kind of science and kind of space at school and I was lucky because I went to a school where it was a brilliant school and our teachers were just really really keen to kind of you know, feed on our imaginations really and we did this massive kind of thing in, about kind of the whole the, the space race and we were all kind of constantly watching films and documentaries about it and um, one of our teachers I think had a VHS copy and we put it on and it, it was strange because I didn't really I didn't realize at the time I, I only I I didn't know that we that there was more missions than the Neil Armstrong one. I didn't realise there were more missions after mm-hmm. that. Each one having kind of a different kind of um, objective, and obviously, kind of, I'd seen the moon buggy footage, but I just didn't really kind of put two and two together. And I, I just remember it kind of kicked off this obsession with it. And when I remember when we kind of put for all mankind, and you know, what kids are like rule like fourteen, shouting and bullying each other and giving each other dead legs and punching each other in the kind of the schools. And then this film came in, and everyone just shut up for an hour and a half and just sat there watching it. And it was, I remember just being completely hypnotised by the imagery. And I, 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 was, I dug out, I'd brought a Brian Eno record at a boot fair, and only because I liked the album cover and I wanted it on my wall, I hadn't actually listened to it. And completely coincidentally, it was the soundtrack to the film. Mm. So then when I got home, I didn't actually realise I had it. So I remember listening to that, and my kind of love, real kind of love for mankind, came from listening to the music over and over again. And then I didn't see it for many, many years. Um, until Criterion put it out on DVD and I picked it up again. And I've gone back to it so many times afterwards. And that, I mean, you know, watching it again in preparation for this, it's it takes me back to that classroom when I was 14. That's kind of, you know, a wonderful thing about film, that it kind of evokes those kind of childhood memories, and especially with kind of really happy ones as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I absolutely love it. It's one of my favourite documentaries. And um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit later about some other kind of films. But, I mean, um, yeah, I think, I think it's a wonderful achievement. I, I think it's the best thing man has ever done. And mm. when you sort of look into the history of them, this was like you know, the Vietnam War was going on as well at this time. And I, I, I suppose it couldn't be like putting a man on the Mars during the Iraq War. You know, it's that kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's just staggering to me that it actually happened. And that, that when you actually see it on this film, it's almost unbelievable. And mm. I'm not saying I could ever be one of these people who um, denies that it happened. And by God, did I put my foot in it. <laughs> I, put my foot, I put my foot in it at work the other day. Because we were talking about it, and I, was, I, was, I said I'm going to be talking about it on Saturday. And I, I actually said, what kind of a moron <laughs> denies that this happened? And then my boss, and I mean big boss, went, well, I don't. And I said, well, I'm not going to retract what I just said. <laughs> I, I said, you have to be a special kind of thick to not re- to, to actually... De- and they, they go into the realms of pseudoscience instantly, I've noticed nowadays, and start telling you about how your washing machine had more computing power than the thing and, all that, and they would have died and yada, yada, yada. But yeah, this, this film, if, if someone doesn't believe it, make them watch this film. <laughs> that, that would be, that's one, one, one good thing I think you can use it for. Hmm. What about uh, yourself? Myself, um, I watched it, I think I bought the Criterion Blu-ray when it came out about two years ago. Uh, and that will be the first time uh, I've seen this film. Um the thing I remember most about that viewing experience was just the, the sense of elation, the sense of just mystery and uh, confoundment, and uh, just a sense of awe about watching these 
magnificent pitches and listening to Brian Eno's soundtrack. It, it created a sense of uh, atmosphere that was just uh, very unique. I haven't, hadn't seen anything quite like that one where the documentary isn't trying to it isn't trying to tell you something educational. It's just trying to take you on this narrative and showing you the joy of being out in space and showing you just the beautiful glory that is Earth. And it was it was something new for me. Uh, definitely seeing a, a documentary that didn't have a particular sort of um, a message, really, in terms of uh, other than. Um, a message other than just appreciating the beauty that is around you. Um, it was quite quite a special one, yeah. Yeah, no, totally, and I totally agree. I mean, the thing is, I mean, one of the things I take, and this, I don't know, because I've got a little bit older, but when I watch it, I feel really nervous in a way, because it's the, the fact that you're kind of watching these kind of guys in these kind of little kind of compartments, and there's this space. And I think it's come from gravity, and I always take my hat, take my hat off for gravity. Because gravity made space scary again. Mm. And you don't need monsters and spaceships. All you need to do is take your mask off and you've had it. And I think that's what... And I don't know, it might be kind of the post-gravity experience, but watching this, you're sort of thinking, there's windows on those... It's like, why have they got windows? I don't need windows. <laughs> I mean, like, like what, what if, you know, what if some awful thing happens? You know, they're dead in seconds. And yeah, I mean, I think it was... Um, I can't remember one of the crew members. I don't know if he says it on this film or another one, but he sort of said that he was constantly sort of just always aware that disaster was basically around the corner that's something i really got from this last viewing of it and uh, yeah i think that's my uh, i think that's gravity for you i think that's mm. it's so- solid my uh, for all mankind <laughs> viewing experience oh i'm so sorry uh i didn't watch gravity by the way right oh <laughs> so <laughs> no i always there's always one film every year even a tv series that i refuse to watch on the basis that everyone else likes it and it's the most bloody-minded, stupid thing ever. And I, I had to be dragged kicking and screaming to watch Gravity. And I, I, when I watched that, actually, actually, I really did enjoy that. And damn it, you know, thing. But I mean, it's a, it, I, did, I think it's well worth checking out. I don't think it's a, uh, it's not the um, cerebral masterpiece everyone says it is. I think it's more just an action film. And once yeah. you kind of, once you go into it on that basis, it's a lot more enjoyable. That's my. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, just to speak to the window thing that got you so spooked. Um, I don't know if you listened to any of the commentary, but um, uh, Al Reiner, the director of For All Mankind, said he was able to get that great, great sequence of the um, spacewalk because the Gemini uh, series had big windows. And so they were able to get the camera shots and um, work on uh, the... straightening out the the jittery camera i guess there was something wrong with it but without those big windows we wouldn't have had those spectacular shots um so that's oh, why yeah, they no... had a window <laughs> oh yeah there's no denying yeah i mean obviously they're there for a reason but it's just like it, it just freaks me out and you think like, i mean literally you know it's just seconds away it, well if anything goes wrong it's you know it, it's curtains isn't it but i mean yeah. the thing i love about for mankind as well is the fact that this is a, it's it's the the astronauts themselves who have made the film, I think obviously our Reinhardt's edited it together and kind of composed the story that way. But I like the fact that it has this home video quality to it because you see people doing very normal things like eating and trying to go to the toilet. And it's only when you see it being done in space, it, it seems just like such an absolute palaver. 
and and it's one of those ones where you begin to you you see just the the, the smallest of things in this environment and on this journey was so hard for these guys to actually do. Um, that's another thing I wanted to know because this is really a personal sort of documentary in a way in that it it uses voices from the astronauts like Jim Lovell, Jack Swagger, Eugene Cernan, and it attempts to have this complete human focus throughout and looking at the beauty of our Earth seen from space. And I'm wondering how successful do you think the documentary is in attempting to like connect with us, the viewer, in a more personal level? I think that it does connect because of those moments of uh, very normal things, um, throwing around a flashlight in, in zero gravity. That's certainly something anybody would have done. Um, I I was absolutely delighted um, when, uh, I believe it was Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were jumping around on the moon's surface and, you know, tripping along. And, and that's the point where they said, you know, if I got one little tear in the suit, it would be all over for me. Um, hmm. But you still related to this idea that they were just gleeful about being on this incredible uh, orb and um, picking up rocks and singing songs and um, just the kind of exhilaration you have uh, both with great achievement and with absolute wonder at what's all around you. Um, I think people can have those experiences here on Earth. I know I've, I've had it looking at volcanoes, which are, you know, larger than life, uh, to say the least, but to actually leave the gravitational force of the Earth and enter into the one-sixth gravity of the moon and be able to leap around like that, I, I think we'd all turn into children. And I believe um, I really connected with them at that point. Um, I will say, however, as a woman, this film put me off just a little bit. Um you look around and there's nothing but men in uh, <laughs> yeah. in mission control. All the air uh, uh, astronauts are they're all men. They talk about a, a one step for man and even <laughs> for all mankind. And uh, it it really reflected, I think, the macho of the space program at that time. Um, mm. Not to mention the sexism in general of uh, the sciences. Um, and um, American society at that time as well. Um, even so, with all that, feeling a little left out of the, uh, of the equation, um, there's no denying that I could participate and feel exhilarated by what I saw. Hmm. I think the thing that does it for me is when the rocket takes off and you hear one of them shout, Yahoo! <laughs> and that's the type of thing I would do. And I, 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 I mean, I, I struggle to take life that seriously anyway. And I mean, it's like when you hear like the brilliant stories, like one of them took a golf club up there and was like whacking golf balls about and things like that. And one of them actually genuinely was going to run behind a crater and say, oh, my God, what's that thing? And then run away <laughs> and then, then come running out. And then there's a brilliant book called Moonshot. And I can't remember who it's by, but he went out and interviewed these people and um they were asking, asking some of the astronauts what, what they would have said if they were the first men on the moon. And one of them was just going to shout, we, we, and jump. 
and so yeah, none of, none of them had this kind of profound kind of thing apart from Neil Armstrong, obviously. And I, I think you're completely right. Just seeing these kind of people just jumping, I, I would do it if you went to the moon, you'd get something and see how far you could throw it. And I mean, I, I understand there was one mission, I, I can't remember which one, where they were literally mission trouble constantly, like, right, please do some science, <laughs> just stop, <laughs> stop it, you know, like literally pushing each other. And you see it on the film, you know, they're slipping over and falling over and driving the buggy round and you would of course you would do, do it and i think that mm. it's when you see these i mean they are kind of exceptionally brave people i mean yeah. there's no doubt about it i mean you know this was newfound science and you know, now when rockets go up to space you know even the kind of it makes me nervous when people go on russian rockets but apparently the most reliable there is but you know these were guys who were kind of strapping themselves to rockets designed by nazis to be launched into space and it, it, you just think I'd be like I'm sorry you're not paying me enough I would find some reason <laughs> not to go I, 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 I'd, I'd invent a cold or something. and these guys went out there and did it got blasted towards the moon and having you know gone in no, where no man has gone before it's you know, in a kind of a Star Trek analogy but it, it's it, if you think about the earth and how much we discovered on it and things like that and it's so pedestrian now when people kind of go to the poles and things like this. And this is genuinely a step into the unknown. And these guys just went and did it. And I, I, I see what you've seen. I, I see what you've seen, Marilyn, about, you know, it's, it's a kind of a man's world and all that kind of thing. But I, to, to be brutally honest with you, that wasn't something that kind of came up when I was watching it. And now you, when I do watch it and you sort of see going through Michigan, and it is literally just guys who all have the same haircut as well, I noticed this time. <laughs> and who all smoke as well. That's the other thing I noticed, which kind of amused me a little bit. But I, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's a throwback to kind of... To, you know, days gone by and when you kind of I mean I was watching the when NASA put that probe on the on Mars about two years ago the one that had those kind of wonderful retro rockets and had a magnificent sky crane and all this kind of thing I looked in mission control then and I noticed it was pretty 50-50 so I think times have moved on I think Hmm. NASA's kind of got itself into the kind of the modern world well they you need to move uh, women and minorities into the pipeline in order for them to show up and now they are so that mm. yeah, that's yeah. that's progress. Mm. But I mean, and I lo- and I love these that you know, like you say or when they're on, on board the, the spacecraft and you see they're just smiling along happily doing these things, pressing buttons and <laughs> they just seem so pleased to be there. And it's yeah. that's the other thing. I mean, I'm a complete wimp. There was a thunderstorm the other day and it completely came out of nowhere and I yeah it scared me to death almost <laughs> for for timing. And you think these guys are like yeah strap me to a rocket, fire me there. There's certain death awaiting outside, and we don't really know if this is going to work, but I'll go anyway. You know, and yeah, they're all American. They are proper American heroes. And, uh, you know, what what, what do we have now? You know, the Kardashians. (laughs) I think I said it. How how far we've gone. Yeah, how how far we've fallen, you know, in terms of. But it's true. I mean, these guys were, yeah, they were heroes, weren't they? Well, you probably know it more more than us, Marilyn, but these were icons, were they not, of the time? I think they were, um, but I also felt that at the time, people had a real do-it-yourself attitude about things. I mean, you mentioned the war in Vietnam, and there were a lot of people who said, we're not going to put up with this, we're going to take to the streets and protest it. There was a sense that you could do things, and um, you know, I was struck when I was listening to Al Reinert um, talk about how accessible NASA was. They they didn't have any security, he just drove in. And right. and he said, you know, I want to look at your films and, and maybe do something about this. I said, oh, sure, you know, here you go. 
uh, we'll pull him out of deep freeze. And you, you, he said he'd go there for months and just look at things and mark them down. Today, you know, it, he he most certainly would be in Guantanamo Bay. There's there's, <laughs> there's 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 no sense of openness or um, a, a sense that you can do things um, that we had then. So. Well, I'd say certainly the astronauts were were very important. Were were idols for many of us, and um, and and opened up a world for us. I don't think anyone thought, well, gee, I could never do that. I think people right. thought they could. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, I, 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 have you two seen the right stuff as well? Because that's one of my exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and that that sort of you know taking these guys and. In a way, when you sort of see what they do, you sort of think they're going to be superhumans. But I mean, I've seen like loads of interviews and things like that with Neil Armstrong, and he just seems like a genuinely kind of nice, sort of placid old kind of man. And yeah, like you say, he's someone who you could probably walk past in the street and not, he wouldn't have a huge entourage with him. And he's just, you know, he was just someone, he was just a normal person doing something very extraordinary, which I think makes it even more impressive in a strange way. Well, the thing is, Neil Armstrong doesn't need an entourage, he knows who he is. Yeah, well, he's dead now anyway. So, well, so you know, we don't yeah. him. okay. <laughs> he did know who he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Tom, you mentioned that these are unique characters and these are really almost celebrities, but it is never revealed to us who the speaking voices are when we're watching the film. And for me, it kind of symbolizes that it is a a generalized us, the people of Earth, kind of going to the space but also that they are speaking to us um with the focus on what the mission feels like and what they experienced and they're sort of relating to us who are unfortunate enough not to be able to travel to the moon that this is a almost a collective voice traveling to the moon together yeah and what i what i noticed about the 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 interviews as well is how devoid of science gobbledygook yeah. They they were. They're not sort of like saying, and some of it's you know, very relatable. They say, like, we're traveling at however many thousands of miles per hour. And you can sort of imagine that. Cause yeah, 25,000 miles. I think yeah, you can, certainly, you, can, you can almost get your head around. But when they're looking back at the Earth, I mean, the bit that really gets me and is, is when it's flying over it, and you can see the, the fires from the Bedouin mm. on, on, mm. on the ground. And w- when they're talking about it, it's exactly the type of reaction that I think I would have. And they, they sound so, you know, like I said, they sound, sound relatable. They don't say, they don't kind of try, and they don't try and say things which are really profound either. They just sort of seem to kind of commentate on what's there and kind of let what they're saying speak for itself. And I think that's quite refreshing. Because a lot of documentaries that I see, I think, I sometimes think people are trying a little bit too hard to sound either incredibly academic or incredibly profound. And in a way, it's it's sort of completely free of this, and it's one of the reasons why I really, yeah, yeah. I say I, I kind of I find myself getting really drawn into it because you do feel like they're in the room there with you, like tapping you on the shoulder, saying, "Well, this is happening, that's happening," and uh, yeah, it's, it's a really nice, it's a really a really nice way of doing it. I think it's it's such a humanitarian touch. I think hmm. that um, you have a really good point, but I think a lot of that is due to, again, the director. Um, I was really flabbergasted to find out that he was not a filmmaker. He had been a print journalist for the Austin Chronicle and for Texas Monthly. So he was used to crafting narratives um, uh, from news. 
and especially for Texas Monthly. So I think he was looking through these hundreds and hundreds of hours of film looking for the narrative thread. And I could see him just saying, my reader wouldn't know what this means. So let's mm-hmm. not put that in. We've all heard of G-Force and we've, we've all, we all know what speed is about. So let's just put those things in. And, um, and I think he did the job of making these, um, these scientists very relatable and um, to the point where you forget they are scientists um, and highly trained um, aviators uh, with a lot of experience. Um, so I, I, I really have to tip my hat to him coming in, not having ever made a film before um, and putting this incredible narrative together uh, in a visual way. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about, I mean, uh, about this film, because it's all made up of previously filmed footage. He's not going out there and he's recording, obviously recording things again, but he's not actually there filming any additional footage. And right. I think it's a wonderful example of how good, this, this guy clearly knows editing mm-hmm. and ha- how it works and how to kind of elicit the, how, how to elicit certain kind of things. Because it, what, I, I know it's one thing about it as well. It's quite a small claustrophobic film for about 35 minutes and then when they get closer to they get to the moon it suddenly gets a lot bigger when you start seeing pictures of it and to me it kind of really I sort of tip my brow to it because you know I make films and adverts into that every day and when I was watching it I was sort of like almost thinking right what can I rob here in terms of how to kind of get that feel of yeah, you know, where you go from the intimate to the big and when you sort of see them in these um, you know cramped little conditions and suddenly cuts to these kind of tracking shots going over the moon's surface, it really does have a massive impact on you as a viewer. And when you sort of coincide with, you know, juxtaposed with that kind of one, those wonderful narrations, and they're kind of talking about it was a scary place when you look down there. And I can imagine it was pretty scary that once you kind of get away from Earth and you suddenly look down at this place, that's just this barren wasteland pockmarked with craters. It would scare me, I think. And you kind of hear them sort of saying that. But they don't obviously say that they were kind of, crying home to mission control but you sort of get this sort of sense that there's this thing coming out the darkness which is the moon which they're going towards and i think reinhardt really and an hour and sort of 20 minutes how long is i think he really does create that sort of tension and wonder really well through his editing choices and i mean he must have had i mean like i said it's millions of feet of footage to go through Mm. and to get that down to you know, an hour and 20 minutes. I'm sure there's another film in there somewhere. You could easily make another one. Two or yeah, three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, completely different. As many as you want. But it's a testament to the fact that he kind of does this. The only thing I find, because I lent it to a friend as well and told them to watch it, and it slightly disappointed me because they sort of said, oh, I've seen all this footage before. And that's, I have seen a lot of it using other films and other documentaries and things like that. So it has kind of watered down it. Um, I suppose the impact a little bit on me, but for the most part, I think this is a brilliant example of how you can edit a documentary together. Mm-hmm. We spoke about FFA not long ago, didn't we? And oh, yeah. I think there are some similarities to speak of here with the collage nature and the like disparate scenes that are collected to make a whole. It's a film that is assembled. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, well, I mean, it's not all from the Apollo missions as well. Some of it's from the Gemini stuff. Oh. And it's different missions kind of cobbled together. And the, the only one, I suppose, one of the slight criticisms I would have is it sort of hints at the Apollo 13 disaster, doesn't it? And it sort of shows you the stuff being vented out. And you can hear them on the mission control, but it kind of completely ignores that entirely. 
and kind of goes away from it. And that's only one thing I thought, that's a really interesting, I mean, it's a really interesting story in itself, but it's, an, it's sort of, I don't know if it's there just to sort of show us how dangerous it was or just going to give this other to the kind of the fact that a lot of the missions were quite serene and quite easy. But That's a question I had with this is a film that is really without any sort of criticism of the men or NASA or America. There are no wrongs or negatives or failures in this film. It's all basically a praise of the beauty of space exploration, of human endeavour. It's a healthy nation that is united behind these brave men that made history. But do you miss any sort of controversy or nuance? Um, I think there was certainly a lot of controversial things going on in the United States and the world at the time, but that wasn't the purpose of this film. Um, hmm. And I think you have to look at the intent uh, the intent here was to document um, manned lunar space travel. Um, and I think it does that brilliantly. I do think, however, it is slightly misleading film because if you did not recognize um, the astronauts um, and see that they were all different, and, and frankly, given the close quarters, some of the um, film quality and uh, jumping around in suits in uh, they're unrecognizable it would be easy for someone coming um, new to this film or to the entire um, Apollo space program to think this was one mission hmm. Um, hmm. and I think the fact that the um, the accident uh, with the oxygen tank on Apollo 13 was inserted, and then you see, okay, they fixed it. It almost seems as though that first, uh, that it's all Apollo 11. And mm. that happened in flight, but these guys came out of it and and made it to the moon. Um, and mm. that, I think, would be difficult without a little contextualization. Yeah, no, I certainly definitely agree with that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad it doesn't kind of go into what was going on in America at the time. I'm glad it just sticks to what it is, which is, uh, you know, obviously that trip to the moon. But I completely agree with you. And it was one of the things that I was consciously aware of when I was watching it. So I was like, it doesn't go anywhere, that story, really. Mm -hmm. It just says, oh, look, this stuff's being vented. Oh, look, it's fine. We're on our way now. And I was sort of thinking, mm, that's a little bit. But every documentary, and I, I've talked about this ad nauseum before, and it's like every documentary has to lie tell its story in a way and when it's michael moore obviously it's a lot more serious than when it's in um what's that uh, donkey kong film fistful of dollars or whatever it is mm. in which that film is a complete fabrication the central premise of it is to totally false what happened in reality but that's fine because it's entertaining when it's michael moore it's it's, it's, disgust it's disgusting and disgraceful don't get and, me started you know, on michael moore <laughs> it's, it's shameful are you i know are you a fan of michael moore or, i i or? am not a fan let's put it that way <laughs> <laughs> really, no. I quite no. I I will I, I will say I quite like his films, but it's, it's the fact that when he makes a documentary, the, the cry of um, the fact that he kind of tampers with them so much and kind of distorts truth is so much louder than in every other documentary film which does it, and this does it, and you have to do it in documentary. You simply can't. I, I think it's virtually impossible not to do it. As soon as you start editing and cutting, you, you you're tampering with reality. Yes, and, and it does it. And I think that some uh, documentarians get dinged for it more than others. I know Absolutely. Errol Morris gets dinged for his re 
enactments all the time, but it mm-hmm. shows up in so many other documentaries that everybody loves, like uh, Man on Wire. Um, and in fact, there is one fabricated scene in uh, For All Mankind, uh, that scene where they're looking, they're inside the capsule and they're looking out the window and they see the moon in a blue sky. Um there was no camera working at the time, so uh, what Reinhardt said he did was he um, took an image of the moon, put it on a piece of blue paper, and taped it to the window and filmed that. <laughs> so there, there is, in fact, a reenactment here. <laughs> and that's annoying, because when I was watching that, I was like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm I mean, so obviously sorry. That, yeah, well, obviously that proves the entire moon landing was fake, because ah, if he could make something yeah. that I believe, yeah. then that's, 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 totally, that's totally the way forward. But no, it's a, yeah... It's hard to criticise. It goes back to my neighbour when he had no interest in Hale Bob. If someone watches and just went, yeah, it's all right, I'd look. I'd question their sanity. <laughs> Definitely. You said earlier that um, no one is trying to say anything profound in this film. However, I, there are some really wonderful quotes that I found, like... Um, there's some that says you don't think of it as Houston or Texas or the United States, but you think of it as Earth. And uh, another quote is, um, "It's home, family, life, moving in a blackness that is almost beyond conception." And there are some, even though they're not trying to say something profound, they really there are some gems that are coming through these voices. I think that's the case of though, just people being people, like saying profoundly moving things just because of the experience that they've had. And that's why that's I think I don't think they're trying genuinely to say something that no. profound. I think it just actually comes out as a kind of, you know, just, just verbatim really. And when you look at it, I mean, you do sort of see, I mean, that was one of the things I was looking at. Yeah, I, you know, I'm a bleeding heart liberal. And when you do look down at sort of Africa with no board and the Middle East with no board, you're like, oh, well, you know, why can't we just get along? You know, it's, uh, that's this rather sort of you know, sad thing that I take with it. But no, I see what you mean. But it, I think it's just because of the normality of it that it sort of almost goes quite, it becomes quite understated. Hmm. I think the music as well is very profound. Um, certainly Eno's. Uh, space music uh, is something I respond to quite a bit, um, as as the two of you do and many other people. But um, even the use of um, uh, Azal Sprach Zarathustra, um, mm-hmm. sort of recalling 2001. And, and for me, it was very cool to see uh, that film validated by this one. Yeah. Um, but there's also a scene, and I was looking in the in the music credits and I couldn't find it but when um, Michael Collins is up in the command module he's listening to some classical music that he says it just you know it takes him places and um, I'm pretty sure it was the Symphony Fantastique and I thought what a what an appropriate piece of music for this fantastic voyage uh, so I, I actually found the music to be very moving as well in a sort of an understated um, uh, sort of rolling on the waves kind of way. Well, I mean, an ascent ending, I think it's called by Brian Eno. I mean, that's a stunning piece of music, but I have to take the BBC to task because about three years ago, you could not watch anything 
on the BBC <laughs> without that piece of music. And it got to the point where they have the, a program called Points of View, which is when they basically read people's complaints to the BBC. And someone wrote in and said, stop using that piece of music. You're ruining for all <laughs> mankind. And it was like, they, 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 but I've not heard it since. So someone must have noticed that it was like, the, but I mean, when you hear that, I mean, it is like, I, mean, I, I get all kind of wishy-washy over music. But when you, when you hear that and, and you're seeing the image of it going down, it is, it's lump in your throat time, I think. And yeah, it, it really, really, it does get me. And like I said, I accidentally bought the soundtrack. I didn't actually listen to the soundtrack until I had seen the film at work. And I was like... I remember um, I got home and the needle and the record had broken, so I had to go and buy a new one. And then just hearing it again without the film took me back to it. And it's such a beautiful piece of music. And it, it's, mm. I mean, I was reading an interview with Brian Eno about it. I mean, how do you compose space where you can go down the John Williams route, I suppose, and do this with this huge bombast? And, and I love it. But this, I think, does it in a completely different way, which kind of makes it a little bit more profound for me. Mm. He taps into that sort of unknown that he makes the he makes the sound sort of magical and uh, extraterrestrial in a way where you it's hard to place what types of instruments he are using when he's orchestrating this type of music. Yeah, I have no idea to be honest with you. I, I, no. I, I think it's all I think it's all synthesized music. Hmm. Yeah, I believe so. Do you have anything else that you would like to discuss with the film? No, I would talk about the fact that I think this is. Um, in terms of, I mean, I'm assuming you've watched it. Have you got the Criterion version of it? No. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, I've never, until I watched it on Blu-ray, I've never seen this with the surround sound mix on it. And mm, yes. um, I, 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 obviously, because you've bought a projector, I've got to get my pointless projector mentioning. <laughs> um, I watched it, you know, kind of projected with a massive surround sound. And I really noticed this time that surround sound mix. And I know on the, I think it's on the DVD, on, of both the Criterion Masters, I don't think it's a surround sound mix, and I was so enveloped by it, and I think it is kind of almost like an art installation. Sometimes this film is an audio visual mm-hmm. thing, and that's how I kind of that's how I kind of absorbed it this time. And hearing it and the music all kind of going around, it really was quite a sort of a it took me completely away from the experience I've normally had watching a film. And I think it's. I would love to see it in the cinema. I really, really want to watch it on a huge, massive screen because I think some of the, the imagery, especially when they're on the moon and you see those kind of like those huge craters, I think it really, it plays incredibly cinematically and that's how I'd like to see it one day. Mm. The soundtrack, the 5.1 setup is definitely enveloping, as you said. I, I notice it especially when the, the rocket is taking off yeah. at about um, 20 minutes or something out in the film and it's just you, you get a sense of uh, size and scale just from the sound that it makes and it's incredible yeah no definitely yeah i um i didn't have that experience unfortunately <laughs> um but i do feel that it is extremely cinematic i some of the images were just breathtaking in the way they were edited um, some of the canted angles, which were of necessity uh, for the people filming them, were used in such an artistic way um, in the edit that I, I really felt this was a really complete piece of film. Um, I think I was probably most excited in some ways by the burns. Um, it's yeah. something you see uh, exterior uh, to the um uh, space or, or the sh- the ship launch, but to actually see it from inside the uh, capsule 
as each mm. of the stages fall off. And I understand this was done um, with testing. They had cameras and yeah. and the, these were test burns. So we're, we're lucky to even have that footage because it could have fallen right into the ocean. And we never would have seen it again. Um, but for me, it really made me feel the, the sense of what it might have been like to be in the capsule when um, all of these stages um, were firing and, and falling off. And uh, I, I really uh, got very um, interested in that part of the film a lot. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if either of you, I sort of, sort of like to say about some other films which, which are well worth checking out on a similar theme. Have you ever seen um, In the Shadow of the Moon? film that came out in 2007 um directed by david singleton and christopher riley i don't believe I'm so not. um watch it because it does go it's it, it very much kind of it's it does have a kind of a slightly kind of political kind of angle to it where it kind of talks about kind of these these were guys who a lot of these astronauts were kind of taken out of the vietnam war to kind of serve in this and it's a bit more hollywood i think would probably be the new the word i would use to describe it it, it does try and kind of really kind of it's got quite a big bombastic score, but um, it's a, a really good companion film to this. And if you haven't seen it as well, there's a brilliant series um, by, it was on Discovery Channel called NASA's Greatest Missions, which was really the story of man's space exploration. And um, that's pretty brilliant as well, because it actually has interviews um, with uh, contributions from um, Neil Armstrong on it as well. So that's kind mm-hmm. of definitely well worth checking out. They're both... Yeah, it's lots of the similar footage and things like that, but uh, yeah, really, really brilliant films as well. Didn't Ryanet make a miniseries also about the space exploration? He contributed to it. Um, okay. That was, um, what's it called again now? Um, From the Earth to the Moon, that's what it's called. Yes. Yeah, he, okay. wrote six, he wrote six episodes of it, I think. That's a pretty brilliant series as well, actually. Um, that's sort of like fictionalised kind of thing, but um, it kind of traces it from beginning to end. And uh, yeah, that's very good. So, sort of summing up, just speaking about the movie itself, it's a film for me that is, it's sort of difficult to explain why it's so good, because to understand it, you have to really, you have to watch it to understand just the atmosphere that it brings with it. You need to experience just the the amalgamation of the images and the sound that is for all mankind. And really, as I mentioned in the, in the intro, that what I came away with the first time two years ago is... What I still get to this day is just this sense of awe from the beauty that this film captures. So what about you, Marilyn? Uh, For me, this film is a real walk down memory lane, uh, bringing me back to a time when um, I was just awestruck that this even happened um, and uh, feeling a, a sense that the world was new. It was bigger and brighter and greater than I had imagined um, during my childhood and coming back to the film and seeing what uh, what was accomplished at a time when maybe it shouldn't have been. Uh, they were taking a huge risk and this was uh, a very um, uh, competitive type of thing to do with uh, the Soviet Union at the time. But to have someone uh, inspire this much confidence and people having that can-do spirit and um, and pushing the borders of what we've been able to do with some somewhat primitive technology, uh, given what we can do today, uh, it it's, it's very inspiring to me now. And and um, 
it's easy to despair a little bit uh, about the direction that we're going. Um, but I think this film is a great antidote and a, and a tribute to um, human endeavor and human imagination. I just love it. Yeah, just to echo that, just take this away from you. We spent $3 trillion on the war in Iraq and <laughs> slashed the budget of NASA and other kind of space. That that's, that's really says it all for me. That's why I get vaguely depressed when I watch this film. I just sort of sit there thinking, <laughs> if you can afford $3 trillion on the, one of the most pointless wars ever fought, surely we can do a little bit better. And I'd like to make politicians watch this film, actually, and just sort of say, look, war, science, war, science, you know, it's not that hard a thing to make. But I, I, it, it's one of my favourite documentaries of all time. Um, I can I can easily just sit down. And, when it's, when I've, I've seen it on TV where it comes on before, and I just sat there and watched it, even though I've watched it like the week before or something like mm. that. And it'll always be one of those ones where I hope I have kids actually so I can sit down there and watch it with them and hopefully kind of inspire some interest from them as opposed to keeping up with the Kardashians' children or something like that. So, <laughs> no, it's a brilliant film and it's, it's one of the quite... I, 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 it's, it's one of those rare ones as well where I've bought it on every... It's one of those, I've bought it on every single format that it's come out on from tapes off the telly on VHS to bought on VHS to bought on DVD to bought on Blu-ray and uh, yeah, it's, it sits very proudly in my collection. And now you're going to have to bring it to a theater near you, right? Damn right. Well, I've got. Well, I might okay. have mentioned I've got a projector in my loft now, so I'd be able to. I might have some <laughs> friends round to, to watch that. <laughs> Fantastic. Speaking about the the release itself, I think it mirrors very much the Criterion release with the commentary with Al Rannett and Eugene Cernan. Um Eugene Cernan, he was the last commander to set foot on the moon, I think, so far at least. And it also includes uh, Accidental Gift, which is a 45-minute making of, and a couple of other featurettes, as well as a... I think there's a featurette on Alan Bean's artwork, yes. which is a strange yeah. one. I haven't I haven't seen that one yet, so... Yeah, it's... um, I've seen a few of his art, of his pieces before, and apparently he always sprinkles a bit of moon dust on them to obviously make about $30,000 more when he sells them at auction. <laughs> Not that I'm being cynical or anything like that, but... No, no. <laughs> but yeah. Um, uh, did you re- have you read the booklet? Um, I read some of the um, the articles that Ryan wrote uh, on the Criterion page, and they are really interesting, offering uh, insight into his uh, his sort of background into getting into this film. Yeah, I've read the book. It's quite good. I just want to put this out there actually about if you have got the Criterion edition. I read something the other day that literally, I, I literally, I have panicked since it. Since I read it, which is about something called browning on your... Bl- yes, oh, my God. I saw that. I was like, I ran downstairs. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Like, they're going through these things where I don't know if this is one of the Criterion ones that suffers from this. Obviously, I've got, I've got both, naturally, because for some reason mm. I had to own both of the same film on the same format. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't understand quite why I did that. But, um, yeah, I, 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 was, I was checking. I don't think this is one that suffers from browning. Marilyn, have you heard of this phenomenon? Because it's worse than Ebola. Browning? Yeah. Uh, no, I have not heard anything about it. The edges around the Blu-ray starts to turn sort of a brown shade oh. on the uh, beneath on the underside. Yeah. Does it render them useless? I have no idea. Yeah, I'm panicking about it. So yeah, check it. I don't think this is one that suffers from it, but just be doubly, doubly sure if it is. Because you, know, you know full well it'll be the one that goes out of print, and, <laughs> and you're gonna you're gonna screw yourself out of six hundred dollars on eBay. So yeah, I'm just putting it out there. Be aware. Yeah. I think uh, M is one of the ones that were pictured uh, uh, browning. So, um, but wrapping up, Marilyn, where can we find you on the internet? 
Uh, you can find me at ferdyonfilms.com. That's F-E-R-D-Y on films.com, where I blog with Roderick Heath on films far and wide. You occasionally can see me on Fandor. Um, if you're a aficionado of the San Francisco Silent Film Festival, I've been writing for their programs for the last year, so please check those out. Um, and uh, that's about it. Brilliant. It's been a pleasure having you on, Marilyn. Well, thank you very much. It's been so much fun talking about this film with you guys. Yeah, I can just say about Ferdian Film as well. I, I got hold of a um, cracked copy of the last movie, which I posted online on, on, on YouTube. And I put on my blog, I can't be bothered watching this or something like that. And I'm glad to see Marilyn's done a really detailed uh, breakdown. <laughs> Actually, of that's Rod. I really oh, 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 right. well, go on third on films you'll find a, 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 a very a detailed breakdown I couldn't be bothered watching it on the basis that it started I thought Do you know what this is? I've wanted to watch it all my life but I thought oh god I don't think I can be bothered so yeah if you want to watch it on mine and then go and read about uh, it on third on film because I'm sure it would be a lot more um, interesting than anything I have to say on it but you can find yeah uh, you can find me at 24framescast.blogspot.com you can follow me on twitter at 24framescast Yep, and you can find us at uh, moc underscore cast on Twitter. You can email us at mastersofcinemacast at gmail.com. And you can also find new episodes on uh, moccast.blogspot.com. So thank you both for joining me this time. And until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. (laughs) 